So early in the book of Genesis, God makes promise. He says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that is an incredible promise. And keeping that promise becomes the driving force behind the story of the whole Bible. Ultimately, God keeps his promise in Jesus, through whom he offers forgiveness and redemption to every man, woman, and child across the globe, regardless of who they are or where they're from. Through his faithfulness to a single family, God forms an entirely new family. And at the end of the Bible, God gives a glimpse of what this new family looks like in a vision to John. In Revelation chapter 7, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What began with a promise to a solitary Jew will end with the gathering of believers from every tribe and language praising God in heaven. This fall, we've been asking an important question, why church? And our answer today is that the church, the church is the only place where genuine diversity goes hand in hand with true unity. Last week, Jason talked about the fact that when we turn to Jesus Christ in faith, God adopts us into his family. We become God's children, and in turn, we become brothers and sisters to one another. Now, that's exciting, but it's also a little terrifying. These people that you're sitting with this morning, you're going to be with them forever. It's okay, they feel the same way about you. We are united to one another in Jesus Christ, but we are not all the same. We share a unity unlike any other, and as a result, we experience a kind of of diversity that you can't find anywhere else. What that diversity looks like and how God intends to bless us through it is the subject of 1 Corinthians 12. So I hope you'll turn there with me. It's on page 959. So Paul highlights two different kinds of diversity in this passage, or two different kinds of difference. First, there's the diversity of birth and background, and second, there's the diversity of gifts and vocation. So in verse 12, Paul writes, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And all were made to drink of one spirit. And one of the most shocking things about the early church was its ethnic and social diversity. There were Jews and there were Greeks. There were wealthy people and slaves. There were folks with black skin, brown skin, and olive skin, and eventually white-skinned Europeans as well. The church was made up of people from every conceivable background. And when God joined them together in Jesus, those backgrounds didn't simply disappear. They didn't abandon their ethnicity, cultural affinities, or social standing. Behavior changed and loyalty shifted, but they didn't stop being themselves. The picture of the saints gathered around the throne of God in Revelation 
is one where racial, physical, and cultural differences, they're all still present. So when God gathers his people, differences of birth and background don't disappear. They remain and they enrich the church. So that's one kind of diversity. There's another that Paul touches on in this chapter, and that's the diversity of gifts and vocation. So skip down to the end of our reading in verse 27. Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. When God unites us to Christ by faith and then to one another's family, he equips us for the work of the kingdom. And to each one of us, he gives a different gift for the good of the whole. There are those who teach, those who heal, those who help, and those who do administrative work. No one person can do everything or should do everything. So I'm sure you're familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien's wonderful trilogy, The Fellowship of the Ring. It's the story of an unlikely band of adventurers who embark on a quest to destroy an evil ring and free the world from the threat of destruction. That group is made up of four hobbits, a dwarf, an elf, and three men, one of whom is a wizard. They do not get along at the outset. Elves and dwarves are ancient enemies. The men don't trust each other. And everyone thinks that hobbits are lazy and unreliable. Well, over the course of their journey, however, they come not only to appreciate each other, but to depend on one another. Their differences of birth and background are subsumed under the uni unifying power of a shared quest. And as they pursue that quest, they discover that each member of the team possesses unique gifts and abilities that the others have to rely on. Hobbits are small and they're good as spies. Dwarves are great at anything that requires blunt force. Elves are incredible archers. The same is true for us in the church. And this is what Paul is pointing to at the end of our reading. We're all differently gifted, and we are all needed on the team. Each one of you brings something to this community that the rest of us need. So God's church is gloriously diverse, and intentionally so. We're different in birth and background, and we're different in gifts and vocation. And these differences, they're part of the beauty of the church. But as we all know, they can also be a source of tension. You know, the very first dispute that took place in the early church was an ethnic one between Jews and Greeks. You can read about it in Acts 6. The truth is, it's hard for us to deal with our differences, even when we're united to each other in Christ. If our first observation from this passage is the glorious diversity of the church, then our second is the fact that we are threatened by division. Let's look at verses 14 to 21 to see what this looks like and why it happens. Paul writes, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We're threatened by two types of division. First, there's the division that happens when someone takes himself or herself out of the body. Because the foot is not a hand, she thinks she's not good enough. Because the ear is not an eye, he thinks he doesn't belong. I wonder if you've ever felt this way about the church. You're not like him, or you're not like her. You don't feel smart enough, or holy enough, or you're not good at the same things, or you don't dress the same way. And you wonder if you should just leave. Paul says, stay. The body needs you. We need your perspective. We need your experience. We need the gifts that God has given you. For those of you who are inclined to feel this way, I realize I'm asking a lot. It's hard to feel like you're the one who doesn't fit. It's so much easier to slip away. But we need you to stay. The first type of division happens when someone takes herself out of the body. But there's another kind of division that comes when one part of the body tries to force out another part. And that's described in verse 21 when Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's awful, but it happens. When people make us feel uncomfortable or they're hard to get along with or we simply don't understand them, we tend to push them away. This can happen in an overt and ugly way, which is usually pretty easy to identify and address, but it can also happen quite subtly. You know, more often than not, we push people out in such a way that we don't even know we're doing it. And that requires a little reflection. So say the majority of a church is made up uh, of young adults. Very few of them are married or have children. Most of them prefer hip-hop or rap, which is reflected in the music they sing on Sunday morning. And they pretty much refuse to wear anything dressier than a pair of fashionable jeans. So one Sunday, a middle-aged couple wearing Lily Pulitzer and Brooks Brothers, accompanied by three elementary school kids, comes for a visit. Folks are happy to see them, but they have no idea what to do with them. They've never seen a dress with that combination of colors. <laughs> Smiles are exchanged, but not much more. What happens? They never go back. As this is understandable. Every local church is going to have a culture that reflects the majority of the people who worship there. We certainly have one here, one where that young family would probably fit in just fine. Now, having a culture isn't bad in and of itself. It's a normal part of life together, but it becomes a problem when the church body expects you to look or act in a certain way, either explicitly or implicitly, and becomes unable to welcome anyone who doesn't quite fit. 
When the expectation is that you have to dress a certain way or come from a particular background or be of a certain race, then the local church becomes a model of exclusivity instead of a bastion of grace. It pushes people out instead of welcoming them in. We need to be sensitive to the ways in which the dominant culture of a church community can push people away who may look or be different. And you know, there's more to this than simply being friendly. God calls us not merely to tolerate one another or even welcome one another, but to honor one another as indispensable members of the body of Christ. This is what Paul says in verses 22 to 26 as he reflects on how to live with and love those folks who are not just different, but even difficult. He writes this, verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When I was about 10 years old, I accompanied my father, who's a minister, uh, to a church event. I don't remember what it was. I, I only remember that most of the people there seemed pretty odd. And on the way home, I said to my father, Dad, did you notice how many weirdos were there this morning? To which my father replied, Son, the kingdom of heaven is full of weirdos. And then he smiled at me in such a way as if to say, and don't be so sure you're not one of them. You know, when a church is healthy and it's faithfully living out the gospel, it is going to attract difficult and unhealthy people. It's going to draw in misfits, addicts, notorious sinners, and people who don't fit in anywhere else. And our response is not just to be nice or simply to welcome new brothers and sisters, but to honor them as God's gift to us, to honor each other as God's gift. But why? Because as Paul explains, we are all indispensable. Not only are we all members of the body of Christ, those who trust in him and gather in his name, we are indispensable to one another. Now let that sink in. You are an indispensable member of this community. And the guy you avoid on Sundays because you can't stand his politics, he's indispensable too. And the woman who always manages to corner you in order to complain about something, she's indispensable too. This is not an indispensability that comes about as a result of your usefulness, but is due to the fact that God loves you and has drawn us together in such a way that we will learn and grow only as we share life together as his beloved. It's not about what you bring to the table, but the fact that you have been brought to the table and fed by God himself. 
Now this means that we'll have to learn to suffer together and rejoice together, as Paul says in verse 26. I think if we're honest, too many of us want church to be comfortable. Life is hard enough. Can at least church be easy? So when things get uncomfortable, we pull up stakes or minimize our involvement to such a degree that it becomes meaningless. And it's precisely at this point that Paul says, lean in and you will learn what it means truly to be the body of Christ. You will suffer, but you will also rejoice in a way you have never rejoiced before. The world around us, it rightly celebrates diversity, but I think it does so for the wrong reasons. It celebrates diversity as an end in and of itself. The New Testament celebrates diversity as a gift of God, which he uses to draw us into ever greater unity in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we grow deeper in our faith and we mature as his children. Let me try to explain what I mean. So it's easy to hang out with people who are just like us. When you have lots in common, there are fewer and fewer sources of potential tension. When everyone looks the same, dresses the same, has the same politics, goes to the same schools, belongs to the same group, then throw Jesus into this mix and he becomes one more thing you have in common. When a local church is made up of people who are all the same, what binds it together, it's not always ultimately Jesus. It can be all of those other things that we have in common in addition to Jesus. Set yourself down in a community filled with different kinds of people, culturally, stage of life, racially, economically. The more you have to build your life together on Jesus because you're not bound together by many other things. So the more diverse a church is, the more it naturally focuses on Jesus because it has to. And the more we focus on Jesus, the more he becomes the center of our identity as a community and as individuals. And when this happens, a far more profound set of relationships begins to emerge. My friend Jim Samra put it like this in his book, The Gift of Church. He wrote, in the church, friendship is not the basis of our unity. Rather, it is the product of our unity in Christ. I long for our church to continue to become more and more diverse in terms of birth and background and in terms of gifts and vocation because I long for Jesus to be more and more at the center of who we are. Why church? Because it is the only context in which our uniqueness as individuals really and truly matters. And it's the only place in the world where our differences will not ultimately divide us but instead will draw us ever more deeply into a living dependence on Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we are gathered together in your name as your body. A diverse group of men and women and boys and girls, different backgrounds, different births, different gifts and different vocations. We come to you because you have drawn us, you have invited us, you have welcomed us into the family. And we ask that as you do, we would grow in unity in you. We would grow in appreciation of one another. We would grow in sensitivity to those around us. That we would become a community ever more focused on you and ever more open to embrace the world around us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for the miracle of new life in you. And we commit each other as your body to you in Jesus' name. Amen.